Welcome back, dear listener, to another episode of Untangled, the Compliance Podcast. Today, we'll be untangling the topic of third-party due diligence. In other words, how can organisations be diligent and aware of the potential risks associated with the third parties that they could be partnering with? To help untangle this topic today, we're joined by Stephanie, Jim and Andre. So, people, third parties due diligence... Is it all just about shifting the blame to the third parties? I think it's controversially yes, because uh, if you are uh, if you come to compliance from a legal background as I did, and it's all driven by the U.S. DOJ guidance, pretty much says you are liable for the actions of third parties unless you prevent or control them effectively. And there is a concept in the compliance world that the whole purpose around third party risk management is to make sure that liability stays with third party. And so all your due diligence, KYBP, all your training of a third party, all your audits and monitoring are there to demonstrate that you've done everything possible for the conduct to be appropriate. But if something went wrong, you had nothing to do with it, right? So trying to have that uh, distance with the third party you hire and creating certain measurements that uh, prevent the liability being attributable to the company, that sometimes is a perception why all these processes that we have around due diligence checklists, training, and uh, certain audits or inspections of third parties are a bit of a moot point, right? Because we have to do all of them. There is lots of files created, but at the end of the day, business still decides to engage a vendor or a distributor in a very exotic country. And we all know it's very dangerous to do business there, but we conscientiously take the risk. So I, I could see all the way through that. Andre's just trying to wind me up. Um, Has it worked? <laughs> it usually does. Um, not coming from a legal background, <laughs> as I'm, I'm often very keen to say, um, I disagree that it's about shifting the blame. And Now, I completely understand the fact that at the end of the day, if something goes wrong, you're going to rely on a lot of this stuff to be able to hold somebody else accountable for sure. But I wouldn't say that that's the reason we do it and I wouldn't say that's the, the driver behind it. And I think increasingly these days, even less so, if you look at um, you know, moving a little bit beyond the world of compliance and into ESG, then actually your supply chain and your vendors you use um, have a massive impact on, on your company and potentially your company reputation. So it's not necessarily about shifting the blame if something goes wrong, but it's also saying if something does go wrong, we are impacted, regardless of whether we're liable or not, because we will be judged in the court of public opinion. And therefore, you know, it, it's there to, obviously, as with anything compliance-related, hopefully prevent an issue in the first place. But it's also there for us to, to develop partnerships where we can work to le- collectively towards um, a, a, a vision or objective in the same way, following the same kind of standards. And, and it's to me, it's about picking those partners that, that share your business approach so that you're not constantly having to fight against a, an organisation that wants to work in a completely different way to the way that you see yourself as a company. Are you persuaded, Andre? <laughs> well, I'm intentionally going to, for this for the sake of this episode, I'm still going to continue on the, on the premise, right? Because while I agree we, in an ideal world, would, try to find the the business partners we would work with. But there are also good reasons why companies do not set up their own offices or they do not do certain types of activities themselves. 
because the only way to be successful is to hire a vendor. And uh, sometimes one may look at that and say it's a famous don't ask, don't tell, despite of all your KYBP questionnaires that create a perfect record, but there is a bit of a wink-wink and the business is still very, very successful. And that's where the, uh, the controversy is. Okay, he's, so he's doing it deliberately now. I know, KYBP, <laughs> know your business partner, right? Yes. Um, and, and so we, we're kind of deadlocked in this battle. There's, there needs to be a kind of casting vote. So Jim, help us out here. Oh, no, I'm not sure I'm the right person to come to. Because um, I was listening to what you guys were talking about just then, and I, I kind of formed this impression that there's an assumption that we have some form of control as a business. And sometimes these third parties are much bigger than we are, and they're not going to change just because we come along and say, oh, well, actually, our processes say you need to do X, Y, or Z. Um, so it's probably more of a question, but what happens when you're a small fish in a big pond? How do you control that risk if they're the only people you can do business with? Well, so I think then the, the, the question is, are they really the only people that you can do business with? Um, because just because you're a small fish doesn't mean you don't have choice. Often there are still choices available to you. Um, I think if you're in that situation, however, where let's say, you know, even if you even if there are multiple choices, maybe they're all as bad as each other or, or none of them perhaps are aligned with what you want to do. I think then at least what you know you're doing is you're making an informed decision as a company and you're saying this is the risk and, and thinking in a true risk management approach is this is the risk. What is the reward? You know, are we comfortable with, with where that leads us and what else might we be able to do to mitigate that risk if we can't convince this business partner to to adopt alternative ways of working. And, and that's what I really, Stephanie, want compliance officers to think about, right? What's the risk management profile of your third parties, not how many questions are there in the KYBP questionnaire? Because at the end of the day, you need to determine as the organization with your business what's your risk tolerance to third parties. There are maybe companies or countries where you would decide we're never going to do business there. It's, it's a lucrative market, very profitable, but we are not prepared to take this risk. Why? Because we are a smaller company, because that market has certain perception, or because there is only one distributor that supplies the government, and the only way to get that contract is to engage in some form of a shady arrangement not necessarily illegal but shady enough for us not to take that risk and i think having that conversation as to what your risk tolerance to third parties what vendors you would want to have on your vendor pool from ethical standards esg standards supply chain management is important and i i have a feeling that often companies start addressing third party due diligence pillar from that due diligence aspect without talking about the proper risk management and risk tolerance, which is which is much more fundamental. And I, th I think sort of as I listen to you explaining that, it, it strikes me that third-party risk management is, is the right term. Third-party due diligence is one part of that. And I think it's really important that we as compliance professionals work with our businesses to help them understand that actually third-party risk management continues through the life cycle of that engagement. And it means it doesn't mean just ticking a box and saying, okay, well, we've identified these risks. They're in the past. We can live with those or it's below our, 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 our tolerance level, so therefore we can do business with them. That it's got to be subject to continual review and that we need to work with them as partners, not dictating one way or the other, you must do this or you mustn't do that. And I think that, 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 that for me is something that stands out. 
and and that's that's where it's uh, it's a very relevant point, Jim, because um, practically speaking, uh, your due diligence ends once the due diligence report is done, right? Doesn't guarantee you that. And a bit like in the, the the earlier episode, we were talking about whistleblower hotline, that that historical legacy, that the KYBP was originally or d- compliance due diligence was originally designed to prevent companies from hiring vendors that are known to be corrupt or currently engage in something that's in a public domain, right? That's why you get a background check report. And the realities of the modern world are such that you have to constantly keep your hand on that pulse. I do have a practical case uh, story when due diligence was successfully passed in, in April, say, and in, by June the company was uh, disbarred because of uh, corrupt conduct. And the business was working with that company for the next year and a half because no one alerted anyone about that, right? And that, that was okay. And and when it was discovered a year after, that created a bit of a steer. So your due diligence snapshot is relevant measure at the time, but doesn't give you any assurance that the vendor you work with still stays uh, an appropriate business partner for you. I was I was thinking of a of an analogy whilst whilst you were talking about the you know, due diligence versus risk management and the ongoing relationship. This might not be a great analogy because I've never done internet dating or, or used any kind of app. But I, my, what popped into my head was kind of like everyone's listening now. <laughs> your due diligence questionnaire is like the Tinder profile. It's like this is this is what they look like on the surface. This is the top level information. You know, this is this is what they want to tell you about who they are and what they do. Um, you have to go on a date. You have to get to know them. If this is about an ongoing relationship and, and, and working together and getting to know each other, and, and that means then addressing the problems as they come up along that relationship. You can't just go on that snapshot, you know, Tinder profile, um, where they give, you know, the, the best best photo that they've got of themselves that was actually taken 10 years ago. And actually, you know, you then need to move forward and, and understand what they really are. And I think it's important to acknowledge, though, that there are there are vendors out there who who you can populate a dashboard or a database with your vendors or third parties that you engage with and they actually continually monitor so they'll screen for things so in the example you gave there Andre you didn't get alerted I, I, I've seen examples like that myself um, fairly recently but um, the, um, the, the the key the key there is that if you have a third party management um, uh, vendor that, that continually screens and scrapes the internet looking for things um, that can serve as an early detection and help you actually manage that risk more effectively. And I wouldn't encourage anybody to uh, to try and set one up internally unless you've got lots and lots of time and lots of money. And and so we've, we've started talking about some uh, practical oh, tools sorry. there, but uh, t- tell us more around um, some of the other things, maybe Stephanie and Andre, that you would uh, do for your third-party due diligence, irrespective of your ingoing hypothesis about its value one of the key things again as as i think we often say with with a lot of our approaches is is engaging the the business and engaging the stakeholders in the process so this isn't an an activity that should be done by compliance in isolation um which brings us back to what what andre said earlier about sort of risk tolerance and appetite this is not something that's determined exclusively by the compliance function so the due diligence process whatever information it yields this should be a discussion with the business um, because again it comes down to not just the risk but the risk and the opportunity and what is the balance of that and, and where does it take us are there options 
you know, do we want to move forward with this one sole vendor? Are there, is there a different business model that we could take? So it, it's a discussion and the due diligence process is about obtaining information to help you make a decision. That decision needs multiple inputs. And I think it's important to recognise as well that compliance aren't the only team function program that, that might want to do some third party due diligence. You, I would imagine your information security team, your cyber security team, they're going to have a stake in the game. You may have an ESG function that's also going to be interested in what they're doing. Um, so look at how to build a process for the end user. Think about how is the end user, the, 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 the relationship manager, going to access this, um, this program and what is the output for them? How do we bring about efficiency? Because I've seen it done really badly where people get so confused by the program that actually they're not, they just can't follow it from end to end and, and reach a, a sensible outcome. And I've seen it done really, really well when the outcome is, that's delivered allows them to know exactly how to manage the risk. Because I think that's the important thing here as well is about risk management. So it's one thing identifying it, but how do we manage that when it comes out of the other end of the program? And I think that's a really important point as well. And for me, the, the practicality here is make sure you're clear on what kind of risk you address, but also how much of that attributability is actually there, right? Because depending on what you delegate to a third party, the risk profile will change, right? And if you're in the pharma world and you have distributors with so-called so hosted Salesforce model, you have, for the purposes of compliance, you have to treat them as if they are employees, right? Because they are conduct, they interact with doctors, they provide hospitality. It's very, very sensitive, right? If you have an agency who goes to registration office and gets an approval for your drug in the in exotic country X, you probably have to make sure that that agency is vetted and maybe trained and you, you are on the same page as to appropriate uh, engagement uh, standards, if it is a vendor that does something less sensitive for you, you probably can can relax a bit more and and uh, be be happy enough with with periodic checks and things like that. And where I see the, again the challenge in a classical uh, program that it's a bit of a of a broad sweep. We're gonna do the due diligence on everyone, or we're gonna send a questionnaire to every vendor, and you end up with backlogs of uh, files that either have no value or they get outdated the minute they get submitted, and things like that. And so, in the compliance budget as well. Exactly. So and that's where I think having that having that conversation uh, in terms of your compliance program strategies, where your risk tolerance is, what vendors you want to concentrate on based on the risk exposure and likelihood of that risk exposure will actually make your third party program much more relevant and much more efficient uh, than than the, the typical one we could have seen. And there's nothing in any regulation that says you have to do all due diligence the same on every type of vendor. So a risk-based approach you know, makes much more sense. And, and I think you're much more likely to get buy-in from everybody to that as well. And it, and it helps you to educate as well the business on what are the higher risk uh, arrangements or, or partnerships. So that, that risk base, I think, is absolutely key to having a program that, that can be successful. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, um, all of you, for your contribution. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of Untangled. We've gone through, I'm not sure who won out of Andrea and Stephanie. Maybe you, dear listener, could comment in the LinkedIn post to let us know your thoughts as well, and we can do a tally. Um, we understand, you know, un the risk tolerance of the organization is necessary to determine whether or not you would go forward with uh, the 
residual risk of any third-party vendor and some great practical suggestions there as well for everyone to digest. Thank you and uh, look forward to the next episode of Untangled.